0: Well, as I said at the beginning of the service, we are wrapping up our study in the book of Ruth, this very short book that we find in the Old Testament. But one of the reasons that we've been studying it is because we believe that the Bible, though it is made up of many books, it really tells one story. It tells the story of God, and it tells us who God is and how he's at work in the world and in our lives as well. And that's part of the reason why we've been looking at Ruth is so that we can see a little bit more clearly his character. And what we've been finding is that throughout this book... Ruth has been giving us, uh, showing us a different facet of that story. And it's a beautiful and a powerful story that really helps us understand the, the God who is a God of covenant love, who is our help in times of need. And so as we come to the end of the series, we're going to look at one more character in this story. But I think it's only right before we even open the book that we actually take a moment to allow God to prepare our hearts and minds to receive the message he has for us. So would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Lord God, we give you thanks for this journey that you have taken us on, that as we've walked through the book of Ruth, you have revealed yourself to us as a God of covenant love, a God who is our help in times of need. And so, Lord, as we come to the conclusion of the story, we pray that you would once more give us hearts that are soft, that are willing to receive the message you have for us, that you give us minds to understand Uh, What you are speaking to us, you give us ears that are open and ready to hear. And Lord, I pray that the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I want to do a little bit of a recap of the book of Ruth, because we've been looking at the book of Ruth through the eyes of several different characters. We started off in the very first week highlighting the fact that God is really the main character of this story. And that in all of its pages, as we go through the story, we're going to see different facets of his character emerging. And then starting in week two, we kind of zoomed in and we looked at the story through the eyes of different people who are part of the story. We began by looking at the story from the perspective of Naomi. We learn that Naomi is a woman of Israel and that she's married to a man named Elimelech. But a famine hits the promised land. And so Elimelech takes Naomi and their two sons and they leave. They go to the country of Moab in search of food. And what we learned is that Naomi's story really is a story that goes from bad to worse. Because when they get to Moab, her husband dies, and then several years later, both of her sons die, and now Naomi is left without provision. She's left poor. She can't own property uh, in that time and in that place, and so she has no choice but to return back to her homeland. But even there, she she has nothing, nothing to sustain her. And in those difficult circumstances, she starts to despair. She wonders, where is God and where is his promised help in my time of need? But what we saw is that God was present to help her, and he gave her that help through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Ruth. And we looked at Ruth's story and we saw that that when her husband dies, she has a choice. She can return to to her own family and hopefully get married again and have children of her own. Or she can go with her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel. And Ruth doesn't choose the easy path. Out of love for Naomi and out of deep faith in God, she goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And it's there that God provides for her and for Naomi that he empowers Ruth through her faith to be Naomi's help in time of need. And this week we come to the last character that we're going to be looking at this story. We're going to be looking at the man Boaz. Now, I'm going to tip my hand at the very beginning of this service and tell you that Boaz is probably one of my favorite characters in the whole Bible. Like Jesus is number one, Boaz is maybe like number two because I really like this guy. Because when we look at the life of Boaz, we learn a little something, not just about what we are called to be as God's people, but we ultimately learn something deep and beautiful and profound about God's character. And so let's take a look at Boaz's story. Boaz comes onto the scene in Ruth chapter 2, and he's introduced in this way. It says that Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a worthy man from the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. A worthy man. That's how Boaz is introduced to us. And what's interesting about that phrase, that description of him, the fact that they call him a worthy man, is that that is actually a pretty familiar phrase in the Old Testament. But it's interesting to see where it pops up. Because the other place that this phrase, a worthy man, pops up is it pops up in reference to King David and to his soldiers. And many translators then translate the phrase, a man of valor or a mighty man. You see, it referred to those men who had proven themselves on the field of battle. These were men who had gone to war against odds that were far greater than they could have ever hoped to defeat, and yet they leave the field of battle victorious. These are men who are skilled with the sword and with the spear. And so when you hear Boaz described as a worthy man, you would expect to see him going into battle. You would expect to see him doing the kinds of things that David and his soldiers did, that in that day of the judges, maybe Boaz would be the next judge. Maybe he would be the one to pick up the sword and the spear and to go and to fight on behalf of God's people, to defend them from their enemies. And yet, as you read through the rest of Ruth, you realize very quickly that's not what he does at all. In fact, in the four chapters of Ruth, never once does he pick up a sword or a spear. Never once does he go into battle against another military force. And so the question is, what does it really mean to be a worthy man? What does it mean to be a man of valor, to be a mighty man? And what we see is that what it means to be a worthy man in the book of Ruth is something that goes far deeper. It really goes to the heart. It's something more than simply being a man of strength. Here's what I mean. There are a couple things we learn about what it means to be worthy from Boaz's story. The first thing that we learn is that Boaz is a kind man. That after he's introduced, we learn that he comes to his fields And Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and he greeted the harvesters, the Lord be with you. And they responded to him, the Lord bless you. See, the first words out of Boaz's mouth are words of blessing and kindness to the people who work for him. And this is really important because Boaz is a man of some standing in those days. Not only does he have his own land, but apparently he has enough of the land, and he's wealthy enough to actually hire other people to work for him. So he's a man who's in a position of leadership. He's kind of a self-made man. He owns his own business, and he's hired others to work for him. More than that, we learn that he's a man of some position in in the community of Bethlehem, because a little later on in the story... He is actually able to call together an ad hoc meeting of the city council of the elders of the town, which means that he is respected, that he is a man of wealth and might and position. And yet what we learn is that he is also a man of kindness to those who work for him. His very first words to his laborers are words of blessing from God. And there's another detail that shows us just how kind of a man he really was! It's a little bit later on we learned that Boaz sleeps at the threshing floor, and at first we're kind of like, "Well, why? Why? What does that tell us? Why does that tell us that he's a, that he's a kind man?" Well, think about this for a second. If you in those days owned your own land and you paid others to harvest for you, you would have them harvest the grain and they would bring it to the threshing floor and then they would store it in barns until it could be transported to market to sell. And typically in that time of it waiting on the threshing floor and going to market, you would need to protect it from those who might try to steal away the wealth of your harvest. And if you are a person of some position like Boaz, you would appoint your laborers to do that. They would take shifts. They would sleep on the threshing floor. They would guard the harvest. And you could go home and be with your family. And yet Boaz, what we see is Boaz takes the watch. Boaz is willing to be the one who sleeps at the threshing floor so that his laborers can actually go home and sleep in their own beds so that the people who work for him can actually go and be with their families and their loved ones. Boaz is respected by his workers because he's a man of kindness and blessing. He's a man who works alongside them and who tries to find ways to free them up so that they can be blessed and spend time with their loved ones. And I think that this is a very important lesson for us, especially those of us who serve in positions of leadership. Those of us who maybe are managers or CEOs, those of us who own our own businesses and employ others to work for us, what Boaz's story tells us is we have a responsibility to them, to be people of blessing to them, to be people of kindness, to not lord it over them, but rather to get in the trenches and work alongside them. That's what Boaz does. But there's something else about Boaz's character that we need to note, and that is that Boaz is a generous man. Here's what I mean. After he comes and he speaks those words of blessing to his people, it says that Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? See, he's referring to Ruth. You see, in those days, God had a law. He said that if you owned land during the harvest, you were not to harvest from the edges of the field. You were to leave what was at the edges of the field for the foreigner, for the alien, for the outcast, and for the poor, so that they could come and they could harvest just a little bit of food and be able to eat, to have some food in their stomach. And so Boaz, going out to kind of inspect his fields, notices that, hey, there's somebody there who's actually gleaning. There's somebody there who's actually taking advantage of what's around on the edges. And so he asks, he says, who is that person? And the overseer replies that she is, uh, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained here from the morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Now Boaz could have heard that and been like, oh, okay, good to know. And he could have gone about the rest of his day. He would have done what the law required and he could have moved on. But what do we see him actually do? It says that he goes to Ruth, and Boaz speaks to her and says, "'My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting, and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled.'" See, Boaz sees this outcast, this foreigner, this poor woman, gleaning at the edges of his field, and he goes above and beyond what the law requires. He says, Come into my fields. He says, I don't want you to be harassed or taken advantage of if you go to another person's field. Stay here so that we can protect you. And in fact, join the women who work with me. Follow along after the men as they harvest and and help us with the harvest. And if you're tired, go ahead and, and get some water so that you're refreshed, so that you won't burn out under the hot sun. See, he's a generous man because he welcomes her in and protects her. But then he goes above and beyond even more because at the end of the day, we learn that he actually invites her to stay with them for the evening meal. He says, come have dinner with us. Have some wine, have some bread, have some food in your stomach. He welcomes her to the community table and says, sit here. Sit here and be refreshed. And then while she's eating, he actually then goes and fills up her bags with more grain. He actually gives her even more food so that she can take it home to Naomi, that they can have something to eat and have even extra to then sell in the marketplace themselves. See, Boaz goes above and beyond what the law requires to provide for the poor and the outcast, to provide for the foreigner and the alien and the widow. He is a generous man. And again, this is an important lesson for us in a society where we're constantly arguing and debating about what we should or should not do for those who are immigrants or for those who are poor or for those who need welfare. And often our instinct is to let the government handle it or to simply give the minimum but what we see in Boaz's story is that he has an eye that sees the foreigner and the outcast the poor and the widow and he provides in abundance for them so that when we ask the question what should we do for the poor in our midst what should we do for the for the wanderer for the immigrant for the foreigner the answer from from God through Boaz's story is you should provide in abundance you should welcome them them to the table that you should give out of the overflow of what you have to provide for their need. Boaz is a generous man. But that's not it. That's not all. There's more to this story because we learn that Boaz is also an honorable man. Here's what I mean. When Naomi finds out that Ruth has caught the eye of Boaz, she realizes that there's one thing that she can yet do for her daughter in law to make sure that Ruth has a future, that she's going to be taken care of, and that's she has to find Ruth a good husband. And so when she learns that Boaz has kind of paid attention to Ruth and that he's a man of some means, Naomi comes up with a plan. She says, Ruth, we are going to get you married. And so what I want you to do, honey, is I want you, to, I want you to, to wash, to clean yourself up, to put on your best clothes. And then I want you to go to the threshing floor, and I want you to wait. Wait until Boaz goes to sleep. Wait till he's alone. And then I want you to go to the threshing floor. I want you to uncover his feet, and I want you to lay down next to him until he notices you. Now, if you're sitting there saying, that sounds really scandalous, you're right. That's exactly what it is. It's very scandalous because number one, in that culture, women don't propose to men. And basically what Ruth is, what Naomi is telling Ruth to do is to go and to ask Boaz to marry her. But then on top of it, you don't go as a woman alone at night with a man. And you certainly don't lay down next to him. And furthermore, some commentators have noted that this phrase of uncover his feet, it can mean that uncover the feet up to the ankles, but it can also mean uncover him all the way up to the waist. The question is, we don't know how far she decides to uncover him. But here you have a man and a woman lying side by side alone at night. And if you are thinking what I'm thinking, if you're thinking what probably the original readers of Ruth are thinking, they're sitting there looking at that story being like, oh, we know what happens next. But the expected is not what happens. Because Boaz rolls over, he notices that she's there, and he says, who are you? And she says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Now as my Redeemer, spread your garment over me. Basically, she says, it's Ruth, marry me. And what does Boaz do? He shows himself to be a man of honor. He says, he offers her blessing. He says that what you have done for me, what you have just proposed is a gift. He's delighted that she actually proposes to him. But then he does something amazing. He says, but wait, we need to do this right. He says, there's somebody in line ahead of me, someone who has the right to marry you and to claim your land as his own. And I need to ask him first and foremost if I'm allowed to do this. And furthermore, he doesn't take advantage of the situation, he says, because if he's not willing to redeem you, I will redeem you. See, Boaz wants to wait. He wants to wait until they can stand before their community and before God, and he can say, this is my wife, and I am her husband, and I take her to be my own. He's a man of honor and integrity. Because you see, Ruth is in a compromising situation, and he could, as a man of position and power, take advantage of that. He could very easily take advantage of Ruth. And then, if she ever raises a cry of protest or accusation, whose word do you think is really going to stand up in court? Ruth's or Boaz's? Boaz's, right? He doesn't take advantage of the situation. He does it with honor. He does it in a way that preserves her purity and her honor, and in a way that preserves his own honor and integrity as well. He waits until they can be properly married before they lie together again. And that's part of the reason I love this picture that I put up on the screen, because here you have Ruth lying asleep on the threshing floor and Boaz watching over her. Watching over not just the harvest, but protecting her as well. That's part of the reason he wakes her up before anybody else shows up, because he wants to preserve that honor. He says, go home before anybody else shows up, but here, take extra bags of grain to your mother-in-law. Boaz is an honorable man, and again, very important in a society where people, where young people are increasingly being told to move in together before marriage, to try out the relationship, to see if this really is going to work. And if it doesn't work, you know, then just break up. Boaz is a reminder that it's important to preserve the honor and integrity of another person and to wait till that day when you can properly be husband and wife. Kind of see why I like Boaz? This is a guy that when I look at his story, I say, I want to be that guy. I want to be that kind of father. I want to be that kind of husband. I want to be that kind of worker. I want to be that kind of boss. He said he's an amazing picture of what it really means to be a worthy man. To be worthy is to be a person who is kind, generous, and honorable. And this is important for us. These images of Boaz are important for us because we live in a world where we have very messed up pictures of what it means to be a man. That if you look at Hollywood films, you would kind of conclude that that men are one of two things. They are either strong men, men with massive biceps and loud voices, or they are weak men, men who are soft, pudgy, and stupid. That's basically the picture that you get of manhood. That to be a man is basically to be a large boy or to be a temper tantruming toddler with a sword. And what Boaz says, he says, what it really means to be worthy, to be a man of honor, to be a man of valor, to be a mighty man is to be someone who is kind and generous and honorable. To be a person of integrity and strength, but who also has softness in his heart. We need this picture of Boaz. Boaz because it shows us the life that we were always supposed to live, what it really means to be godly people. But if I were to leave the story right there and just simply say, now go out and do it, go be worthy people like Boaz, we would actually miss what Boaz tells us, not just about character, but what Boaz actually tells us about the greater story of God. If I were to just say, go be Boaz, without telling you how he became the man he is, then we would all fall short. Because the truth is, is the only way we can truly appreciate Boaz's story is if we understand who Boaz knew and to whom he pointed. Because there's another detail that we learn about Boaz if we take a closer look at his story. And the first is, is that he knew God. That part of the reason that he is an honorable, kind and generous man is because he had experienced the kindness and the generosity of an honorable God. It's because of his relationship with God that he was shaped to become the person that he is. I mean, think about this for a second. Boaz stands in contrast to another man in the story of Ruth. And that man is the man Elimelech, Naomi's husband. You see, Elimelech, when famine struck the promised land, he took Naomi and their two sons and they left. See, the promised land, God had said, I will provide for you in this promised land. That you, my people, when you dwell here, I will give you uh, milk and honey. I will give you food in abundance. I will provide for your every need. But the moment the going gets tough, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, they leave. Elimelech gets out of Dodge. And as a result, he loses his inheritance. He loses his land. He ultimately dies in a foreign country, and his family is left poor. But now think in contrast to Boaz. When Boaz shows up, we learn that he's a man who not only owns property, he owns a lot of property. He's a man of wealth and means and standing in his community. And the question is, how did he get there? And the answer is, he must have stuck it out. That when everybody else was leaving the land, Boaz must have said, God made a promise. He promised that he would take care of us here, and so I'm going to stick it out too. And he would have he would have grown as a young man knowing what it was like to go hungry. He would have grown as a young man knowing what it was like to put in backbreaking work and to have very little return. He would have known what it was like to be poor. He would have known what it was like to be in want, to be in need, and then he would have known the God who provided for him. Because ultimately what we see by the time he shows up in this story is that God has provided, that God has richly blessed him. And now he is turning around and he is richly blessing others. Boaz knew God. He'd experienced God's kindness. And so he became a kind man. But there's another detail about Boaz's life that tells us about his faith in God. And it's actually a detail that we get when we look at Matthew chapter 1, where Boaz shows up in in the list of the genealogy of Jesus. Here's what we learn about Boaz. It says that Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Now that name should ring a bell for those of you who are familiar with the Bible a little bit because Rahab shows up in the story of Joshua. And what we learn about Rahab is Rahab is not an Israelite. She is not one of God's chosen people. She's actually a Canaanite. She lives in the city of Jericho and she's a prostitute. But when she learns that God and his people are coming to the promised land, she decides to throw her lot in with them. She confesses faith in the God of Israel And she says, and I believe that when God gives you, the people of Israel, this land, I believe that he can deliver me and my family too. And so when the walls of Jericho fall, Rahab and her family become a part of the family of God. And she gives birth to Boaz. Which means that Boaz's mom was a foreigner at one time. Boaz's mom was an outcast and an alien. Which means he would have grown up knowing what it was like to be an outcast and an alien. He would have heard stories from his mother. And as a result, he grew up with eyes to see the outcast, with eyes to see the foreigner, but he also knew something else from his mother's story, that she had been brought into the family of God. He would have known what it would have been like to be included as one of God's people and to receive God's grace and his covenant love, to receive God's help in times of need. Boaz is a generous man because he's experienced the generosity of God. Boaz is an honorable man because he knows that God is a God who keeps his promises. God is a God of honor. Boaz is a man of faith who knew God. But we also need to understand the one to whom Boaz points. Because there's another Hebrew word in this story that's an important one. And it's a word that Naomi gives to Boaz. She calls him their goel, their redeemer. See, a redeemer in those days was someone who, who purchased something back at great cost themselves. So for example, if a member of your family had lost their property or had to sell off their property in order to have some income, the goel, the redeemer, could step in and at great personal cost buy back the land for you and give it back to you so that your family would have an inheritance and a future. Or if a member of your family had to sell themselves into slavery in order to pay off a debt, the Redeemer could step in and pay the price for them to set them free again. And so Naomi and Ruth go to Boaz as the redeemer. And what he shows us in his story is what it means to be a true kinsman redeemer. That when other people say, I'm not willing to pay the price for Ruth and for the land, Boaz says, I will do it. And at great personal cost to himself, he not only buys back the land, but in love marries the outcast. He marries Ruth. And they start a family together. See, Boaz teaches us what it means to be a redeemer, and his life foreshadows and points to the greater kinsman redeemer who was to come. See, something that we've been saying throughout this series is that the story of Ruth helps us understand the story of God, which is why it's no surprise that when we get to Jesus, we encounter some very familiar names. That if you were to go all the way to Matthew chapter 1 verse 1, you'd see that it starts by saying this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And as you read through the genealogy a little bit further, you get to verses 5 and 6 where it says this, Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth and Obed the father of Jesse and Jesse the father of King David see boaz's story ruth's story become a part of the greater story of god and from boaz the kinsman redeemer comes the greater kinsman redeemer one who is greater than king david jesus christ our lord and jesus christ our lord at great personal cost to himself enters into our world gets down on his knees alongside us and shows us the kindness, the generosity of an honorable God. But more than that, he serves as our redeemer by going to a cross and paying the price that we could never pay ourselves. He pays off that debt of sin to set us free and to give us eternal life. In Jesus Christ, we see that God is a God of honor who keeps his promises, promises like the one he made in Isaiah 43, verse 1, where he says, Where now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. You see, in Jesus Christ, we see that God is indeed our redeemer, that he's willing to pay every price to set us free. But more than that, he becomes the bridegroom. Jesus says, after he rises again from the dead, there is a day when I will return as a bridegroom to his bride, and I will bring you all into the wedding feast. He brings outcasts in and makes us members of the family of God. See, Boaz's story points us to the story of Jesus. And it's only then when we realize that we have been shown kindness and generosity by a God of honor and grace, that we become people who can then show kindness and generosity to others. That we become a people who go out into a broken world and welcome the outcast in. That we go out into a broken world and we show them the love of the God who's willing to pay every price, that they might be set free and that they might know his love for all eternity. This is why we've been calling this book not just the book of Ruth, but the gospel of Ruth. It's because in this story, we get the good news about a God of covenant love who is our help in times of need, for he alone is our redeemer. And so it's in that knowledge, and it's with gratitude and thanksgiving in our hearts that I want to close this series in a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you are not a distant God. You are not a God who is estranged from us. You are not a a God of, of, of hatred and condemnation. You are a God of steadfast love. You are our help in times of need. You are our redeemer. Lord, we thank you that you have shown your character over and over again through the pages of scripture. And we thank you for the beautiful ways in which you once more reveal yourself through the book of Ruth. And so, Lord, we pray that you, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would form us into people, people after your own heart, people of kindness and generosity, people who are honorable, and that you would send us out into our world that we might show others your steadfast love and help in times of need. We pray this with thanksgiving and gratitude in our hearts, praying it in the name of our great kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.